Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast. I'm Pro Sound Web. I'm Michael. I'm joined by Chris Leonard and Willa Snow. What's going on, everybody? Hey, y'all. How's it going? I am excited. She got the y'all in there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in Texas. I got the y'all in. I'm not talking to anybody these days with... So I'm just want to like making making sure I get the y'alls out. You know? I'm all about the y'alls, so you lay them on me as many as you want. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, uh, uh, I'm very oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, I'm just saying I'm uh, I'm excited. This uh, this trend of talking to monitor engineers is uh, uh, this is this is fit, you know it's good stuff. I know. I was thinking we're we're on a real kick here because uh, I really get my monitor fix. Our guest tonight is the fabulous Becky Pell. She is a uh, off. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She's an <laughs> she is a frequent. There it is. She's a frequent contributor to Live Sound International Magazine and Pro Sound Web. She has a bunch of fantastic articles up on there covering a wide variety of topics. She's been in the live music business for 25 years, and she's also a yoga therapist. And for those who are interested, there's a lovely picture of her with her cat on her website so i encourage everybody to check that out becky thank you for being with us thank you for inviting me on good to be here where are you uh where are you joining us from physically right now i am physically uh in coolum beach in australia which is um about an hour and a half north of brisbane so you're upside down from the rest of us i'm upside down i'm on a different day (laughs) for you guys So uh, you've written some really cool stuff for Live Sound International, and I want to go through a couple of the articles. Um, I think one of your articles, uh, which was called Here at Last, A History of Stage Monitoring, was in the uh, top 20 uh, most read of, of 2019 on ProSound World, which is pretty cool. So congratulations. Was it really? Uh, I didn't know that. That's lovely to yes, hear. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, so... You know, Becky, one of the things that I've picked up on from reading your work um, is you have a astonishing amount of knowledge about the human hearing mechanism and the acoustic reflex and psychoacoustics. And it, it, it's, a, it's a level of knowledge that goes way above and beyond what the average audio engineer knows or needs to know to do their job. How did you, how did you acquire all this, this high-level knowledge? I'm, I'm naturally curious and... I feel like monitors is is such a kind of marriage of two different worlds of technology and psychology. And it made sense to me to kind of find out a bit about psychoacoustics and because hearing is obviously not just about the ears, the ears are just the the reception device. It's it's then all how it's processed in the brain. And I found it quite fascinating. Um so I just started doing some research online and, and reading around the subject a lot and um just found it really interesting and found lots of uh, little tricks to do with psychoacoustics that I could employ in my monitor mixing to to create better sounding mixes for my clients. Well, I got to tell you, you're, you're, uh, you have a multi-part series called Keeping It Real, um, and it's yeah. about human hearing mechanism and psychoacoustics and IEM mixing. And uh, as, as some of our listeners know, I, uh, I work as the technical editor for Live Sound International magazine. So when the articles come in, it's my job to look them over and just make sure that we're not printing anything that you know is factually inaccurate or anything mm. like that. Um, and when that came across, I went, 
uh-oh, because most people, when they get into this stuff, most people don't get it all right. And so I was, <laughs> I was just waiting, but I said, wow, she nailed it. Like everything in here is perfect. And it's like medical textbook level accurate. And I was very impressed. So well done on that, I have to say. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I did have some good guidance from, um, I've written about the uh, the Clang technology, the 3D um, IEM mixing that's that's happening now. And I had some excellent guidance from the guys there because they've got some real professor level uh, people working with them. So it's really interesting to learn from them and, and uh, make sure I'm getting my facts straight as well. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about that that tech for a bit because I've, it's something I've been hearing about um, for a while, and I know Will is really excited to dig into it. So, for the folks who aren't sure what we're talking about, um, is the is is the Clang K L A N G is a series of hardware units, I believe, that process uh, binaural audio for in ear monitor mixes. So, can you fill us in, give us the scoop? Okay, so what the Clang lets you do is take your monitor mixing into the 3D domain. Um, what it it ends up feeling like is as though you're standing on stage and you've actually taken your in-ears out. And you could imagine if you could hear everything acoustically, the things that you can't normally hear acoustically that are DI, things like keyboards or bass guitars or whatever. If you could hear all of those things acoustically placed around you at the perfect mix level for you, that's what it feels like when you use this technology. And the way it works is by employing binaural hearing techniques. So binaural hearing is how we naturally hear and process sounds. Um, you're aware if a sound is coming from behind you or if it's high up or far away or off to one side. And the reason we understand where these sound sources are coming from is all to do with interaural time and level differences, comb filtering, different phasing, different frequency perception, depending on where the sound's coming from because of the shape of our body that's in the way, um, whether the sound is low and we're hearing a time difference or whether the sound is higher and we're hearing it different levels of volume. And the Clang technology utilizes all of that data to recreate using shifts in time eq phasing to um to recreate that effect so what i can do is bring the clang unit into my mixed domain and using um an ipad or a computer screen i can move the different inputs around on an icon of a human head and it feels then as though a sound is coming from behind me or up high or down low. So rather than just having the, the side to side of stereo, you've suddenly got this whole 3D domain. And it's fantastic. Did we, did we lose you there, Michael? Oh, sorry. I had to turn my... <laughs> that mute button got me. Um, <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> I've never fallen foul of that one. <laughs> so you're actually taking individual inputs and you're placing them in different spots. You can say, I want the hi-hat up to the left and I want to put the bass amp behind me to the right. And, and I want to point out to folks um, who are interested in this, you can download the Clang app 
um, and play with it. And it has demo tunes built into it. So you can plug your headphones right into your iPad or your device and you can play with the functionality and you can move these inputs around. And I, and I tried it and I'm like, well, I don't really want to go back to stereo now. <laughs> you know, right? It's, completely, it's incredible. It, it's really, really incredible how, how you can take that snare drum and move it around the space. And it really honestly feels like it's moving around. It's totally wild. It's so clever. I can't imagine the amount of work that's gone into into the um, the under the under the hood stuff of, of of making it all happen. But it's it's really fantastic, isn't it? It is like flying <laughs> flying business and then having to go back to economy when you go back to stereo. <laughs> so what uh, I, what what type of artists have you actually have you actually used this in a live environment? Uh, I have. Yeah. What, what type yeah. of shows were um, the one I used it on? Um, most recently was War of the Worlds, which um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's um, it's an adaptation of um, an old um, novel about an alien invasion. And um, the, uh, the producer um, created a musical adaptation of it. And it's a whole stage show with a huge amount of inputs. It's a full orchestra nine-piece band, uh, loads of different singers and guest artists coming on playing various different um, roles in the story. And that's 250-something inputs, I think it was, that we had. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. So to cram all of that into a stereo mix is just, it's going to be really hard to, to make it um, not feel overcrowded. Uh, and Jeff Wayne, who was who was the creator of this, he conducts the whole thing. So he is essentially the artist, if you like, and, and everybody else is, is the band. And he is a fabulous producer who wants to hear his piece of art recreated, so no pressure, <laughs> um, in the live environment. Um, and so having the ability to move everything around in this 3D domain uh, so that I could have things like sound effects of an, an alien spaceship landing taking up a different place in re of real estate than um, something more critical to uh, the musical mix like the strings say or the guitar was just an absolute gift it really created a sense of space what, what was uh, what was the feedback from the uh, the artists or the musicians oh he loved it jeff loved it um it was he just felt that it created, like I said, this, this sense of um, spaciousness and you can add a drama to it as well. It's, it becomes a very organic feeling thing. Um, it is exactly like I said earlier, like you've stood on stage and taken your in-ears out and you're standing in the middle of, of the orchestra as a conductor does and you're hearing it all organically. But obviously with all of these additional inputs that are electronic that you couldn't hear acoustically. Yeah, and, and is this something you potentially see instituted in just straight up, you know, rock and roll and pop, or do you think it's more special application based on on more theatrical style stuff? No, it's it's absolutely for for rock and roll and pop, and I'm taking it out on my next tour actually, um, which is a, a pop band, um, and I think it's going to be fantastic for anyone really who just wants a an up leveled hearing experience. And the other great thing about it is. Because you've got all this space, we've found that we can turn down the central element of somebody's mix. So, for example, uh, a drummer typically has a click very loud um, in their ears. 
we can generally turn that central element of the mix down by about 6 dB, which is extremely significant when it comes to protecting people's hearing. So, you know, if you don't want to don't want to use it for the for the fantastic listening experience, use it to protect your ears. That's that's just as valid. So yeah, I was I, gonna I was gonna ask about that because it seems like you know when you go from mono to stereo, you all of a sudden have more room, and so you don't have as much crowding, and so the overall mm-hmm. level can be more reasonable. And so it just seems like a natural extension of that would be okay. Well, now we can go up, down, front, back, left, right, and and then we don't need as much. You know, you're not punishing people's in ears mixes. So that's 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 pretty cool, and I think that's a that's a really important benefit that uh, you know we can run the whole thing at a more reasonable level and and. Uh, do less damage to people definitely definitely got to look after people's hearing so i'm curious how uh this this sort of listening experience would relate to something else in the audio realm like so with surround sound mixing there's things like uh, 5171 and like 12.1 so like like five points of reference seven points of reference and 12 points Mm. of reference uh i'm curious with, with the clang how many points of reference do you happen to know that that it's working with within that that 3d field it, I mean, your points of reference are just your in-ear monitors. I mean, you mm-hmm. you, you plug your, your pair of in-ears into your pack like you exactly like you normally would, and mm-hmm. all of the magic happens because of psychoacoustic perception in your head. So it's kind of unlimited point one yeah. surround sound, really, yeah. Okay. I wonder if this technology could eventually be adapted to a film movie theater experience. That would be kind of neat. Um, I think it really could. Yeah, you could. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you could give everybody an infrared pack and a and a set of cans and yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, you got to play with it, Willie. You got to go get the app and, and oh, put I'm your gonna, music. Oh, you have gonna, to. Yeah, it's so good. That's wild. exactly it's, what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so stoked. I'm, it's really I've, cool. Yeah, I've been uh, kind of keeping my eye on the Clang technology for a while. I've been desperately wanting to get my hands on it. So I'm, I didn't know that the app had that aspect to it. So I'm definitely going to be downloading that later and messing around. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that Digico is now building this technology into their mixers. And so it's going to be coming, if I'm understanding correctly, it's going to now be, you know, a lot more accessible to uh, a wider variety of folks who are using the Digico consoles. They are and they have, and I'm so excited. That's what I'm taking out on my next tour. <laughs> <laughs> my new toy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I can, I can actually move everything around from the functionality of the desk. I can have the screen as well to, to see the placement, but I can actually move it all around actually from the desk surface, which is brilliant. I'm I'm really interested in sort of the timeline view here because I mean this is in a way the current state of the art you know with with inner monitors it's like one of the most advanced uh, monitor mixing technologies that's out there right now so if we think about going back to the beginning and your article that you wrote about the history of stage monitoring mm. um, you know s- starting with I mean you've identified it uh, one of the first uses back to 1961. Um, and, and literally fold back in the literal sense where it was like, okay, we're going to put up an extra set of speakers and just blast them back onto the stage. I mean, can we go through, I'd love to talk about that evolution a little bit and sort of some of the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, milestones that you found along the way when you were researching this. Yeah, sure. Um, well the first, uh, the first user that we, we know of was Judy Garland who, you know, exactly that couldn't, couldn't hear herself. And so that somebody had the idea of spinning a, a speaker around and, uh, so that she could at least had some point of reference. Um, you know, not being able to hear themselves was the reason that the Beatles stopped touring. It was just they, they couldn't get over the, the screaming and obviously the PAs were very, very limited in those days as well. So 
it was just an unhappy experience for them. Um, and so the, you know, uh, the, those kind of times were when people started to, to turn a speaker around and, uh, think, oh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a possibility here for actually musicians being able to hear what they're playing. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, when did you see, I mean, there's a really interesting thing in your article here uh, about Bill Hanley, who, who a lot of folks know as the, the, the kind of brainchild behind the Woodstock 1969 sound design and system. Um, he apparently is, is widely credited with the concept of, you know, cutting a loudspeaker at an angle so it can be on the floor and point up at the, at the performer's face. I mean, that's like, what a brainwave that must've been. Yeah. Yeah. With Neil Young. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, that's revolutionary. And now it seems so it's such a no brainer, right? You just wouldn't even think otherwise, but all of this stuff, somebody had to come up with it the first time. And yeah, he, he, he changed it. He changed the way that bands experienced their show. So then the next kind of milestone that you talk about in your article is uh, when this stops being literally fold back and starts becoming, it's a discrete mix. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it became 1970s. It says, yeah. Um, so I think it was uh, Bob, Bob Cavan um, at McCune. Um, he came up with the first monitor mixer that was actually designed particularly for stage mixing. So, you know, it had, the, had uh, more um, auxiliary sends so that people could have, yeah, this, this, these discrete mixes rather than just a, a, a replication of, of what was going out front. People could actually have bespoke mixes according to what they needed to hear. Um, and it meant that, you know, we started to have more uh, monitor wedges on stage. Wasn't always that popular with some front of house engineers because then there was, you know, an additional sound source coming off stage. Um, and so so began front of house versus monitors. Yeah, the battle <laughs> began, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, again, this was this was an evolution in musicians being able to hear themselves and, and actually enjoy their performance rather mm. than just battling through it. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that I learned from your article that I, I had no idea about was how early in-ear monitors were actually being developed. Because I think a lot, you know, if you ask a lot of engineers, they'll say, you know, kind of, you know, mid-90s is when they really started to catch on and become something that you'd see more common. And, and nowadays you see them all over the place. But, um, I mean, you were able to trace the roots uh, back to like mid-1960s, which I think is is pretty amazing. And I don't think anyone, I would never have guessed that they were that old of a technology. No, that's right. I mean, yeah, it was, it was mid-90s where they started to become popular. Um, but, yeah, the very first... Um, iteration of them was um in 1965 according to what i could uh, could discover um i mean i have as much fun researching these articles as i do as i, as I do writing them it's uh, it's really interesting delving into all of this stuff um there's a guy called stephen ambrose um who when he was 13 years old he wasn't allowed to listen to rock music uh, in his house forbidden by his father so he he hacked together an earpiece um and you know, this became, this started to develop um, into uh, something that he, he, he learned to amplify. And 
then he he ended up working with Stevie Wonder um, and he created molds for him um, in the late 70s, I believe. Which you so said he, actually at first he used he used bubblegum because that's right. Much, I guess, you know, all <laughs> he so had great. basically like seal it off and then eventually using like silly putty and stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. So <laughs> inventive. It's <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. I, I just it's so fascinating to me, like this whole the way it's just, you know, it's sort of what do they say? Necessity is, is a mother invention, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, so for you as a monitor engineer, I mean, where do you start when you have all this technology available to you? And and one of the things that we've talked about on on recent episodes is how different different artists want their mixes. You mm. know, um, Eddie Kaipo said to us, you know, he told me because he mixes monitors for Enrique Glaze, and he said, if you heard Enrique's monitor mix, you would fire me. He said, is that bad? <laughs> you know, so but that's what he likes. He just it's exactly what what he likes. So where do you start when you're working with a new artist? You know, what what is your first um, instinct to to put in the mix for them? Um, it very much depends on the artist. My, my first my first protocol is to is to talk to them um, because working with somebody for the first time when I'm new to them for the first time, but they've already been touring for 25 years. They've got a, already got a pretty good idea what they want to hear. They may not be able to articulate it, mm. which is where things get uh, get interesting, and you have to employ all sorts of skills then. Um, but that's a very different experience from working with somebody who, say, has won the Voice or something and has never done a live show before, and they don't know what they want. Um, so that's kind of the first port of call. Um, but if in, in most cases, I will put together a rough, simple mix. Um, simplicity is my is my watchword um, always with mixing monitors. You don't need to put every single input in there. Um, it needs to be have space in it and be functional, so that somebody can pitch and somebody can time. That is the the basis of a monitor mix. Can they hear themselves? Can they hear what they're tuning to? Can they stay in time? And then I build on it from there. I love that. I mean, there's sort of the utilitarian, uh, you know, mindset there, which is, you know, what, what's the function of of this input in the mix? And and uh, it was interesting when I, one of the bands I work with, they're on In Your Monitors, and they, they originally went to go play a show that was going to be Wedges. And um, I wasn't there with them on that show. And so I kind of had to do a little chat with them before they left and said, you know, hey, you can't treat this wedge like you're used to treating your monitor mix and like you're used to asking me for, you know, I mean, three of them have everything. They have a full mix mm. in their ears. And I said, mm. you can't you can't ask the monitor guy to do that and your wedge is not going to work. So you need to think about what do you need to hear to do your show? Exactly. Only those things. And, and it's, I mean, it's such a departure, but I, I love the functionality aspect of it, you know, which is how is this helping this person do their job? Exactly, yeah. Um, and I, I find it with... Um, with a lot of more, particularly with more poppy acts, there'll be, as with most acts these days, there's a, um, an element of, of hard drive um, input as well. And a lot of that can be kind of effects-based um, and synths and things that are perhaps relevant in the front-of-house mix um, to, to, um, to, to recreate the record, I guess. Uh, but how much information is it actually delivering that's necessary for, for an artist? And is it useful or is it, is it adding, adding to the situation um, in a positive way or is it just muddying the waters? 
I think it's important to be judicious about yeah what you what you actually put in there. Yeah, that's fair too. And I mean, I imagine sometimes for some artists who are more. Uh, for lack of better terms, control freaks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they, um, it, it might be hard for them to part with some of those sounds and not have them for the clarity because they want to make sure that you know everything that they put into it is actually coming out. And so I, th- I think that's, that's been a wrestle for me in the past of like, you know, assuring that again, you, know, you have exactly what you need so that you have the space for yourself. Uh, without mudding the waters with all the ancillary stuff that's just yes it's it's the icing out out front but just not necessary for your wedge or your ears absolutely yeah i mean if you know if it's something that's a very signature sound of a, of a, of a song or whatever then and they're very wedded to it then then so be it but i think it's it's useful to let them maybe have a have a run of the song with it and without it and see which they prefer and you know it's very much a two-way process isn't it it's a it's a it's a creation between the monitor engineer and the artist um, to, to work together. So how did, how, no, go ahead, Michael. Well, I was just, you know, it's interesting to me that because you, you now have this element of, of communication that has to happen that you don't have at front of house where in front of house, I hear something, I make a change. Um, you have an inherent disconnect here between the person who is, is the, the receiver of the mix and the person who's controlling the mix. And like you sort of hinted at Becky, it's sort of, you know, what do you do when, when the artist can't, uh, you know, articulate what they need changed or what they don't like, how, what are some of the things that you've developed to deal with that situation? Oh gosh. I don't know if there's even a technique. I think it's experience. <laughs> um, I try again. It comes back to a conversation. Um, I try to listen very closely to them in terms of what they're saying to me, and I try and read between the lines a bit, and then you know use reflective listening techniques of you know repeating back to them what I've understood that they've said and what I've understood that they're after to make sure that I'm I'm getting right. You know, at the very first level of of speaking to each other, what they want to hear. Um, but honestly, it's, it's something that comes with, with time, I think, with working a lot with a lot of different people. And, um, you know, sometimes there'll be, there'll be things that are sort of more universal. Um, you know, if somebody says it sounds muddy or um, uh, they need more clarity, you know, there, there, there's, there's generally things that, that, that that's a fairly universal um, fix for things like that. Um, often to do with EQ, um, but yeah, I think a lot of it's down to experience. So, so speaking of experience, so I, this is maybe a twofold question. One, I'm curious to you know, how did you get into being a monitor engineer? Because um, it's not necessarily something that necessarily everyone aspires to be. Maybe you didn't from the beginning. And then, secondly, like you know, you've been in a monitor engineer for this long. What has kept you in that seat and not pushed you to want to do something else? Or what you know, um, is there is there a passion there? And if so, kind of what drives that? <laughs> latent masochism <laughs> 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 um i was very fortunate to start my um my live audio career um working with a pa company in london who um i just think that's such a, a great way to start out because it was very much ground up you know sweeping the floors cleaning the cables i learned really from the foundations um and learned my craft that way and as I eventually got my hands on a mixing desk, not the week I walked in as I thought I might, but you know, about three years later, uh, <laughs> um, I started being, you know, given, um, you know, opportunities to, 
to uh, be more involved in, in mixing and um, system teching. And I, you know, became proficient in all of those things and, you know, mixed front of house for a few um, shows and mixed monitors for a few things. And it, I, I felt just more at home at, at monitors. I like the camaraderie and the sense of being a, a part of it and having a, a very interactive experience with the band um because as much as it can be miserable if you don't get on with them when it's going well Mm -hmm. it's actually a very very pleasant can be a very pleasant vibe and it's very rewarding to earn um, a musician's trust um and i also had a fantastic mentor um fred fred jackson fred jackson um nicknamed gumby um who used to mix monitors for bruce springsteen and patty labelle and he was working at this this company in London at the same time as me, and really taught me how to do monitors. Um, and I think he spotted something in me, maybe personality wise, um, that he felt would serve me well at that, that end of the snake. Um, so it kind of, yeah, it kind of developed from there. But I, I liked mixing front of house. There was things about it I enjoyed, but I liked mixing monitors more. No, I I could definitely resonate with pretty much that whole story in terms of, you know, I kind of started out as a, um, you know, at a, at a full-time at a, at a touring company and, and kind of progressed into things. And uh, same with me in terms of um, having that, I really thrived on that direct feedback from the artist, right? Mm. So it's like, it's one thing at front of house, like, you know, you got everybody's boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, the managers, all these people who you're trying to please and none of them you could ever fully satisfy. And then you have, you know, the audience who, you know, you, you know, give it what you may that some people might kind of uh. say something, but like, there's no like, you know, there's no like that direct feedback of like you know, knowing that you actually accomplished something. Whereas, uh, you know, um, with an artist, like you know where you stand, right? Like yes. you know, you either had a good night or you didn't. And 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 I like the fact that not only are you doing that with one person, you're doing you know, depending on the size of the act. I mean, that's sometimes 10, 12, 14 people at a time that you're having this tight relationship with and and i feel like so much more connected to the show by you know what i do really affects how this this tonight goes right you know um whereas the front of house guy like again you know the mix can be not so great and people are still gonna kind of sing along and still watch the show and move along but you know if i f up or whatever like i could tank a show yes you know um and so just that, I don't know, that part of it too really, uh, really, really got me going. And then from the festival standpoint too, you know, I'm working 10 times harder than a front of house guy. I don't care what he says. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, um, in terms of the amount of things I got to pull together. No shade. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> no shade, Chris. <laughs> um, so no, I just, that, that, that amount of like activity and, and, and mental stretch and, and exercise of like moving your, you know, especially back in analog days where you're just dancing all over a desk to get to places like that. I don't oh, know, all yeah. combined is, um, yeah, if you can't tell, I, I like monitors more than front of house. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm totally with you. I hear everything that you're saying. And yeah, the, the thing about the the opinions, everyone having an opinion. Well, at least at least if you're mixing monitors, the person who's got an opinion about the mix has, is entitled to it because it's their mix. Right, right. <laughs> Plus there's just like a certain element of magic to it as well when you're when you're mixing monitors. And like one of my favorite moments is when for the first time, like, so a band comes in and they have their ear rig and they're just like, okay, yeah, we can do it in mono. And I'm like, but can, can I do it in stereo? Will you do that for me? 
And is, is that, yeah. is that cool? And they, they, it, so I work mostly in small clubs, right? Mm. Uh, so for them, it's like kind of strange and baffling that, that an engineer would even want to mix their ears in stereo. Um, you want to do more work? What's wrong I, with you? I know. <laughs> the beautiful thing is I, I very much, I, I have a bit of a servant's heart. So I very much enjoy kind of catering to the artist and listening to what they need. And then for the first time ever, giving them this mix where they can hear everything for the first time. And all I did was just pan and throw a little reverb in there, right? But for them, it's it's such a, a difference, and it allows them to feel more connected to each other on stage. They feel very comfortable, and yeah. they're able to have that 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 distraction of like, oh, I can't really hear myself, but you know, I know the song, so I just I'm gonna kind of go. And there's always that that dialogue going in their minds of like, of you know, I can't really hear anything. I guess it's this or whatever. Um, that removes that connection from from each other on stage and then also from the audience. So the show isn't at its fullest peak, but the first time that an artist experiences a clean in-ear monitor mix where they can hear everything correctly and that, that barrier is kind of just removed. It's so satisfying for me because they're comfortable and they're putting on the most badass performance that they've ever done. And then the crowd is having a great time. And then the club is happy because people are buying more drinks. And then, yeah. And then, you know, everyone's just having a good time at the end of the day. Um, and it's, it's so nice to be able to, to be of service and give that to them. Oh, that's so great, isn't it? Oh, they must love you when they've experienced that for the first time. Like, don't leave us. You have to come on tour with us now. Um, I would love, I mean, one of my dreams is to, to mix in-ears for a band. And so yeah. that, that, that's a goal I've got uh, in addition to all, all of my myriad other ones. But that, that's one of them is to be an in-ear engineer for, for someone someday. Oh, well, yeah, well, with an approach like that, it sounds like you're going to get that gig pretty yeah. soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Yeah, Willie, you reminded me, I think another part of like the most satisfying thing is um, uh, I like... I like having an artist, uh, or or I should say maybe a musician, but either either artist or musician, um, uh, who either had a bad experience on ears before um, mm-hmm. because of whatever circumstances, or you're trying to transition them out of wedges into ears, mm-hmm. and yeah. like that that process, as long as it goes well, um, it can be very satisfying. Like I remember specifically like an MD of a band um, just like insistent on being on wedges. And it's like literally through a whole like two, three month tour, it was like a progression. I'm like, all right, dude, like here, let's, you know, let's get you on one ear, right? Which I know is not the best, but it, it was a starting point. Right. And like, mm-hmm. but I still left, I still left the wedge out there and it's like slowly creeping it away to like, you know, okay, let me, all right, let me get you on two ears tonight. All right. And let's mix this in. I'll leave the wedge out here in case you don't like it. I can just, you know, unmute it or whatever. And and then we even like put the wedge out there as like a dummy effect for a little bit, just, <laughs> just, just to like give them the self confidence boost. And then by the, by the end of the tour, three quarters of the tour, I didn't have to put the wedge out there anymore, right? And he was like loving it, and he can like his ears aren't ringing at the end of the night, like all of these positive things. And like you, to this day, he still will like compliment me like on like Facebook or something in a conversation, be like, "Oh man, like Chris is the guy who got me on ears and sold me on ears," you know, like just that little bit of like that, you know you knew that you put your time in, uh, you were able to get the payoff and actually, you know, benefit somebody for the future. Yeah. Oh, they're keeping so us safe for, for the, for the long term, And it's just, it's such a wonderful experience. Yeah. And then they, well, they, they get this fantastic upgraded experience. And I, I feel like our job as monitor engineers really is to, is to give them an audio, audio environment that they can just 
forget about and be comfortable with so that they can concentrate on doing their job of, of, of like you say, giving a great show and connecting with the audience. And then the, then the venue's happy because the audience are happy. And yeah, it's a real knock-on effect. I love that. I had a, a good friend of mine. He's a professional musician. He's been a professional musician for 50 years. He plays in all sorts of projects and he's toured the world. And the band that he's with now is, is like a, you know, 11 or 12 piece with a full horn section and keyboard. It's one of those, you know, it's, um, and I guess when the band went to in years, he was not happy and he couldn't hear what he needed to hear. And he told the music director, he's like, if you make me do this again, I'm going to quit. And I was talking to him about that. And I said, that's not the inner's fault. I said, that's the, you're not hearing what you need to hear. You know, either mm-hmm. you, your fit is not good or you're not getting the right mix. So I, I brought him out to a show that I was mixing for my friend's band and they're all on ears. And I handed him my Q pack and, you know, he was standing next to me in front of the house, but I, I had him put the Q pack on and just kind of flip through the mixes. And he looked at me, his eyes got wide and he's like, Oh my gosh. You know? Um, and I was like, yeah, you can't, you can't do the band that you're doing right now on a wedge. It's just not mm. going to work for you. And, mm-hmm. and so then he realized it wasn't the in-ears fault. It was just, you know, we needed to kind of go over some details. And so he needed to just talk with their engineer and either make sure the fit is right or make sure that the mix is, is tweaked. And, and since he's done that, he's like, Oh my God, thank you so much for, you know, making me, you know, kind of reevaluate that. So, so I just want to throw out to folks who maybe had a frustrating experience with in your monitors um it Paul is a Willow. paradigm shift She's yeah. ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go yeah no i mean it's such a broad shift it's so different if you're not used to having your ears completely plugged it's totally a, a, a big change but you know after putting in the time to get it right and get used to it it's a it's a much better experience for for a number of reasons so i just want to kind of encourage folks to if they've had a bad experience to revisit that Definitely. So, it's it's more nuanced and it's, yeah, it, don't give up just because you've had a, a poor experience one time. Give it, a, give it a few different goes with different people. Absolutely. And it's very important to have patience as you're working through all of that. And I actually um, just got one of my singers onto like fully in-ears. Um, so a band that I work with, Corbella, they were on both wedges and ears where they would have like themselves in their ears and everything else in the wedge. Mm-hmm. And then they started working with me and it's like, well, you have these in-ears, so why why not just completely have your mix there? Um, and my singer was having a lot of difficulty hearing herself. Um, and we, we got her fully onto ears and panned everything out and that helped greatly. And Becky, I'm curious if you've ever had this, this issue. So my singer is extremely talented and her pitch is like fantastic every night. Um, we kept have running into the issue of she couldn't hear herself, but she was cranking up her pack all the way every night and the send was super high and I didn't want to go any further because we were all worried that she was going to damage her hearing. Um, and there was no issue with her with her molded ears. There was no issue with the pack. There was no issue with the uh, the transmitter. So I'm wondering if you've ever had an, a, a problem like that where it seemed to be more psychological than an actual technological issue. And how yeah. did you deal with that? Um there's a little trick that I started doing a few years ago that I really find helpful. Um, and that is if you're creating a mix for, um, for a singer, if at all possible, get, do the multi-track recording thing of a, of a sound check or whatever, just so you've got all those inputs and you can, you can bring them into your desk without anybody there. Um, or have the band play and, and you basically, you take the role of the singer, you put in their mix, you grab their mic 
generally I unplug the split to front of house because <laughs> 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 I don't need that going in the PA. <laughs> <And I'm laughs> <everybody> <laughs> um, but I'll sing along. And it's it can be night and day. What you think sounds um, what sounds you know like a, a, a good vocal mix to us as engineers can be a very different experience when you're the person actually doing the singing. But because of, again comes back to how we hear ourselves naturally through the bone conductivity of our skulls and all the rest of it. So that would probably be my first port of call with with somebody like that. Actually mm-hmm. have that experience for yourself um, and see if you can get to the bottom of what might be going on. Um, the other thing I'd suggest is that sometimes in-ears can fit a little too snugly and the, the, the canal that goes into your ear can be a little bit too long to the point where it actually butts up against the inside of, of the ear and basically just blocks the sound. Um, you know, just Really? Yeah, just uh, basically it's, you know, the holes are butted up against the flesh and so if you just pull them out, just, you know, just move them out just a tiny fraction it can um, it um, unblocks that physical um, contact. Hmm. Good to know. Thank you. Worth a try. Yeah. So, so Becky, although we, we may um, resonate a bunch uh, in the monitor world, you have another thing going for you that I cannot relate to, uh, and that'd be the yoga therapist. What's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is that about? Um, okay, so I uh, I got into yoga uh, probably about thirteen years ago, um, and got, was very quickly became basically obsessed with it. <laughs> um, and after about five years of obsession, uh, decided I would um, do my teacher training um, as much because I wanted to know more about it, but also because I'd been asked by some people I was on the road with if I would teach them some yoga, um, which I was happy to do, but I didn't know how to teach it safely to other people um and then that that developed I, I did various more advanced trainings and in the end um wound up embarking on a three-year um study um in yoga therapy um when I was still in London um so a yoga therapist how it differs from a yoga teacher is generally we see people one-on-one um and uh, we come up with a, a practice for them that they can take home. It might just be a few things. It might be a meditation technique, a breathing technique, um, some some postures, and it can be you know anything from um, functional illness, things like chronic fatigue, insomnia, um, all those kinds of things. Um, or it might be something physical. It, we, we work with people on all levels of their being, you know, beyond the physical. Physical, it's you know mental, emotional, and um, psychological, spiritual. And to try and help them find a holistic way of feeling a little bit better in themselves. Yeah, that's very important, especially from a, from a touring aspect. I mean, the the toll that the road takes on your body is just tremendous, and many people do not take very good care of themselves while they're out there. So, I mean, I imagine that kind of sparked maybe some of that either for yourself, and then now the mission to kind of like help other people and and help mm. them through that. Yeah, it's it's not an environment being on the road that is conducive to, to healthy living. You know, we, we work long hours, don't we? It's the the food and things like that can be very hit and miss. Um, there's not a lot of downtime. There's not a lot of time to rest. You may not be getting enough sleep. So I, and, and also, you know, let's be honest, there's a, depending on the, the band and the crew that you're with, there's differing levels of partying going on. Um, some, some crews can be pretty clean and others are, you know, I still think it's the, 
1975. So if you're going to have longevity, I think it is important to um, to do what you can to take care of yourself. I'm not saying you can't ever go out and party and have fun, but I think there's a balance to be had. Becky, I want to. We're a little bit up against the clock, but there's something uh, that you have in in one of your articles called "The Rise of the Tech: The Elevation yeah. of the Role of Audio Technician." And I think it's such an important point, and I think it's something we've talked about on this podcast in the in the past. But uh, I I definitely want to reiterate, like you know, it's it's not all about climbing the pyramid to front of house. Like that's a glorious no. job, and that's kind of where you know it's it's the rock star underrated position. But but um, I think you know I, I love that. Hey, there's nothing you know wrong with aspiring to be a PA tech. There's nothing wrong with aspiring to be a systems engineer. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's not that all roads lead to front of house, and I, I think that's just a really great thing for folks to keep in mind. So I, I, I'm glad you're uh, spreading the gospel there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it's it's become so much more specialised now. There's so much more computer and technology and, and, and everything going on these days that uh, you know, a lot of it beyond where my skill set lies. I insist now on taking a young, clever person on the road with me. <laughs> 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 Who knows about all the computing side of things and the networking <laughs> and all that stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, there you go, Willa. There's your there's your next opportunity. Be the computer yes. nerd. Yeah, I told. I mean, I'm gonna I, have to be. <laughs> I, I told I told Michael when I came aboard the podcast. It's like you know what we, you know. Monitor engineers are unrepresented in this industry. So uh, for every uh, two front of house guys, we have to interview one monitor person. So we're we're working on getting that quota up. So it's, it's, yay, it's, we like that. <laughs> well, Becky, thank you, thank you so much for chatting with us. It's really been uh, really cool to kind of dig into a lot of this stuff with you. And and I, I again, I want to encourage anybody who's listening to go to ProSound Web. We'll put a link in the description of this podcast so you can read Becky's wonderful articles. They're fantastic. I always look forward to seeing a new one. So uh, everyone definitely check them out. Becky, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Really enjoyed chatting to you guys. Thank you. Thank you.